This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. This podcast is coming out in June 2021, right in the middle of Pride celebrations across the United States. This month, we celebrate the progress of the queer community, the widespread acceptance and strides to equality. We also remember that our Pride celebrations began as protests led by trans Black women. And even now, 52 years after Stonewall, we continue to see an unprecedented amount of attacks on both queer folks and Black communities. Though we also see continued intersectionality in their civil rights movements as well. In this week's story, Teller Latanya Lane shares her own experiences as a Black woman learning to fight for rights beyond her own, and the importance of patience and education throughout that fight. Recorded live in Pub 626 in Chicago in March 2019, Second Story is proud to present Sharp Objects. My last semester at Chicago Theological Seminary, my friends and I were organizing a gender queer celebration, a fun educational event that would celebrate gender non-conforming identities and raise money for my friend Jim to get top surgery. I was also trying to make sure I had all my credits to graduate on time. Jim and I decided to take a winter course together. United we stand, working to end racism and homophobia in our communities. For weeks, we spent three hours a day talking about allyship, what it looks like for black folks, brown folks, cis folks, queer folks, white folks, able-bodied folks, poor folks, moneyed folks, all the folks we could imagine. <laughs> what it looks like when we show up for each other in the spaces where we have power. Our facilitator, Melanie, was great. She was really good at slowing us down forcing us to hear our own words and sit with the points being made. On one of the final afternoons, we watched a video of queer people of color who decided it was safer to leave home with nowhere to go than to stay in a place that constantly questioned and assaulted who they were. What did you learn from this? The facilitator asked the room. I lifted my hand. I think it just shows how important it is to love your kids, no matter what. Even if they're gay, you have to let them know you love them. Our facilitator paused and let me listen to what I just said. Even if? I looked at Jim sitting next to me, the shame already tightening my chest. Because 18 months earlier, I'd met my friend Jim at the first day of orientation. At lunch, we sat with a group and chatted and laughed. The conversation switched to TV shows. The, I don't have a TV, strand of conversation started. <laughs> and I felt a twinge in my belly. Was this one of those places where watching TV signaled less refined tastes? I love TV, Jim piped up. I watched it so much when I was a kid, some TV characters feel like family. <laughs> I exhaled with the relief of finding a kindred spirit. After we finished eating, we had formal introductions where we all stood up and shared something about ourselves. Jim shared that we were the first community they'd exclusively used that name with, that they still use she, her pronouns, 
that they were still figuring out gender things and that they were planning to do more work around gender at CTS. As Jim introduced himself, I suddenly realized I had done that thing that most of us do without thinking. Within two seconds of sitting down to eat, I had sized up the sum of everyone's physical characteristics and made broad guesses about their race and gender. I, a black woman, was sitting next to a white dude. We sat across from a white lady. There was a group of men and women, black, white, Asian, farther down the table, and Jim? In my memory, I read them as a dude because I'm thinking of the person I hang out with these days, not the person I met 10 years ago. But when I talked to them about this moment, they reminded me when we met, I would have read them as female because that's what most people did. Clocking these things is a move I make every time I meet someone new. And I didn't even know that was a thing I should pay attention to. Hearing Jim introduce himself, I made a mental note without fully understanding it. Jim was using she, her pronouns, but neither man nor woman were words that made sense for them. Okay. At the time, the language they liked to use was genderqueer. We left that first day of orientation chatting on our way to our separate homes. We'd figured out a couple of the other things we had in common besides our love of TV. We were both anxiety prone, though I was highly extroverted, while Jim was like the shyest of the turtle people. And Jim was deeply spiritual, which you'd expect to find in a seminary, but actually is kind of rare. Why'd you come to CTS, Jim asked. The day was warm and the sun was still high in the sky, even though it was early evening. We crossed the street from the large stately houses on University Avenue to the student apartments on the other side of 55th Street. Well, I said, you know Dr. Stone who teaches Wednesday's class? I read his book last year. It's this queer reading of the Bible and it was just so good and like really radical. He does this thing where he keeps the door open for people who disagree with him. I wanna learn how to do that. What about you? Jim thought and then said, I was at this Quaker community in Philadelphia and I just felt the spirit tell me seminary was the right place to be. It's always hard for me to decide about things. Like, I rarely feel sure. That's why I pay attention when I have that feeling. It'd been years since I heard anyone talk about the spirit. It reminded me of home. That first hangout, I knew Jim was my people. And when you're my people, I try to figure out a way to be yours. In this instance, I had a lot to learn. To say I grew up in an uber-heteronormative environment is actually an understatement. There were like a whole list of things that just weren't talked about where I grew up. LGBTQ identities was definitely on that list. LGBTQ identities were so invisible to me that in college I lived with two women for a full year who were clearly in a long-term committed relationship. <laughs> but. I just assume they're like BFFs. Very affectionate BFFs. Which is both funny, but also really messed up. By the time I'd graduated college, I'd learned a couple things. One, racism, still alive and well. And two, the system that says black bodies can experience violence with no consequence is strongly linked to the system that says LGBTQ people are an abomination to be erased and punished. 
For me, when I decided to fight the one, I realized I had to fight the other. But my friendship with Jim was the first time I was presented with a relationship to put my commitments into action. I tried to do my own work, read books and articles, watch movies, anything I could do to manage my biases around gender. And also, I tried to be courageous and curious in my conversations with Jim. Every Wednesday, CTS provided a community lunch, just like that first meal at orientation. Most Wednesdays, I found myself sitting next to Jim talking about class assignments or real life things, like in our first year when I discovered I was pregnant. We sat down to a meal from SoulVeg. I just realized this today, but your baby will be the youngest person I have ever met. Jim said as we tucked into the meatless ribs. Why do vegetarians make fake meat? I shook my head and moved to the greens. What am I gonna do with a baby? I hope it's a girl. What would I even do with a boy, I said. Jim thought for a second. I don't know if thinking of this person as a boy or girl helps right now. I think for the first year or so, you just need to Make sure baby's fed, changed, and cuddled. Oddly, that line was a comfort for me. When my son was born, I tried to pay attention to how my expectations around gender informed how I treated this new person. Because what did this little bundle of baby know about gender except what I told him? My son was a cuddler from birth, comforted by closeness and affection, Apparently, I thought he'd be cold and aloof, like a tiny John Wayne. <laughs> Wednesday lunches became a space where I shifted from thinking about gender as a clear-cut, quickly identifiable aspect of identity to a complex set of realities, often in conflict with one another. After lunches, I would go home and nurse my son and think of the box of choices I was offering him just because I assumed he'd grow up to be a man. Would I really limit the emotions he was allowed to express? Would I limit his personality to silent stoicism? Would I fail to keep him accountable for contributing to a healthy home and family environment? I became that mom who encouraged my son to play with dolls and bought him a kitchen set for his birthday, who tried to give him a broad range of options in dress and appearance, who started to push other moms to make room for whoever their kids might be. All of that showing up came from those community lunch conversations. Every conversation felt like I'd moved a little bit closer to understanding what my friend was working through and pushed me to do better to show up for people who were fighting so hard just to be allowed to be who they were. So that's where I was in that winter class term. I had spent the past 18 months witnessing my friends' efforts to express their gender identity. I was navigating and expanding how gender impacted my child. I was organizing a gender queer celebration, and I was in a class on how to be a better ally to LGBTQ folk, and yet, these words came out of my mouth. I think it just shows how important it is to love your kids no matter what. Even if they're gay, you have to let them know you love them. Our facilitator nodded and waited. 
The space she created with her silence made me hear what I just said. Even if, as if gay was an inherently bad thing, as if a queer identity was by default a negative one. How? After all the work I've been doing, how were these concepts still so deeply ingrained? I felt terrible about what I'd said, even if. It was a clear microaggression. As a black person, often moving in mostly white spaces, I know microaggressions are like thousands of tiny cuts that drain the soul. In that moment, my realization was visceral. Gender queer folks mo moving through mostly cis spaces were vulnerable to thousands of tiny cuts as well. As Jim and I walked out of class, I felt tender, my inadequacy as an ally exposed. I expected some sort of chastisement to be the center of our conversation, but that didn't happen. We went to find lunch. It was a Tuesday in January, no community lunch to be found. We settled on the cafe a couple of blocks away. We talked and what I'd said didn't come up at all. The conversation moved easily to all the big and little things in our lives. When I finally did ask Jim about it, they said, I don't know, I guess because I'm your friend, I read that kindly, but I'm glad Melanie was there and saw where you had room to grow. It wasn't the last time I'd make that kind of mistake, but it's the one I remember because I almost missed it. If our facilitator hadn't been so good at slowing us down, I wouldn't have learned how sharp my assumptions could be and the vital lesson that the most essential part of this work is that thing we all learned in kindergarten. When moving with sharp objects, you've got to move slowly. This story was curated by Amanda Delheimer, produced by Kit Ryan, and directed by Max Spitz, with music and sound design by Nick Ward. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.